Welcome to The Excellent Fiduciary, a podcast from Roland Chris, where we explore what it takes to meet and exceed the demands of managing an employee benefit plan in today's complex market. From regulatory developments to fiduciary news and practical tips, tune in to The Excellent Fiduciary for your step-by-step guide in achieving compliance and confidence in a new fiduciary era. Now let's begin today's show with an introduction from our Roland Chris host. Nearly half of the employers contacted by Fidelity Investments in its current year plan sponsor attitudes survey revealed their intent to evaluate replacements for their existing 401k type plan record keepers. Many say they will use a request for proposal or RFP to obtain bids. New considerations affect how employee benefit plan committees evaluate service providers altering traditional vendor search topics. What, what are those considerations and how do they reshape RFP best practices? In this episode of the Excellent Fiduciary Podcast, we'll review the traditional makeup of RFP, RFP and discuss how prudent retirement plan executives will adjust their tactics. I'm your host, Ron Hagen, Chairman of the Risk Standards Committee at Roland Chris, and it's my pleasure to be your host today. Well, an RFP is a decision-making tool and provides essential details based on tailored requirements. Without using a well-constructed RFP and by just taking marketing proposals, employers risk non-compliance with the legal necessity of selecting record keepers prudently. Far too often, that leads to hiring service providers who are the most skilled marketers and not necessarily choosing one that best meets the plan or participants' needs. In smaller plans, those under $200 million in assets, employers are more likely to base their decision on a provider who is a prolific marketer, research indicates. Now, that can be the organization that's frequently cold-calling and constantly advertising its campaigns, or is a large national brand. In those cases, hiring a record keeper is based on familiarity with its name and not necessarily on an objective evaluation process. By using an adequately constructed RFP, employers can compare their selected finalists to find out who the most qualified organizations are, regardless of how engaging a bidder's sales program may be. In addition, smaller plans are more likely to select a retirement plan record keeper based on ancillary services they may already be consuming. Uh, For example, an employer may go to a vendor because they already have a business relationship with a bank that offers record keeping services to retirement plans. Hiring a vendor based on an ancillary relationship can obscure making a prudent decision for what's best for the retirement plan by introducing a bias to the decision-making process. Well, for larger plans, the RFP is essential in creating a well-documented, prudent process that employers can follow should their decision-making ever be questioned. Now, the intent of this podcast is not to describe all that a request for proposal should contain. Instead, we're going to focus on two significant issues that modernize the customary content. Now, if you need guidance on what an RFP should address, the 401k Help Center offers an excellent template, and you may request it from me at by email at excellentfiduciary, all one word, at rolandchris.com. 
Human resources executives ask a common question. How often should they undertake a complete RFP? There's no fast rule or Department of Labor safe harbor answer to that question. However, as an organization enters the 7 to 10 year range, challenges to the plan sponsors vetting of providers can crop up. So we recommend an RFP project every five years with consistent performance and fee assessments conducted in the interim. Now, in light of the pricing pressure on vendors in all servicing categories, triggered by scores of lawsuits against plan sponsors for authorizing excessive compensation for services, especially record-keeping, fee schedules are changing for the better. In order to make up for falling revenue, however, many record-keepers tout specific enhancements to appeal to responsible executives. Uh, these include such items as advanced technology, payroll, contribution efficiency, or the plan sponsor and participant websites. Now, the employer needs to examine if these improvements will directly match the needs of the plan and participants and verify that the pricing is cost-effective for the services rendered before agreeing to them. Now, that brings us to one of two recent considerations that drove an upgrade to RFP best practices. We're going to spend the remainder of our time in this episode discussing those two considerations. The first is a new feature that some record keepers are calling their 316 fiduciary service. The second key consideration is the pace of cybersecurity intrusions that threaten the health of the entire employee benefits industry. And we're going to address each one of them separately. Every retirement plan qualified under the Employee Retirement Income Security Act, or ERISA, needs a plan sponsor, a plan administrator, a named fiduciary, and a trustee. Section 316 of ERISA defines the legal obligations of a plan administrator, hence the term 316 fiduciary. It's a legal as well as a functional title. The plan administrator is the person or committee designated in the plan document that defines a retirement plan's features and governance structure. If no plan administrator is named, then the plan sponsor, by default, is the plan administrator. Generally speaking, a plan administrator is responsible for interpreting the plan's governance documents, administering the plan per governance provisions, overseeing the prudent handling of plan assets, managing operations including the plan's payroll interface, appointing other fiduciaries, selecting and monitoring service providers, and determining the reasonableness of their compensation initially and ongoing. At a retirement plan's inception, the plan sponsor is the 316 fiduciary, and most employers keep that role permanently. However, employers may delegate 316 functions to qualified third parties as long as they have no conflicts of interest with the plan. Even though an employer may hire various service providers to assist in the operation and management of their plans, they retain the primary fiduciary responsibility under ERISA. They are never wholly free of potential liability no matter what savvy marketers of 316 fiduciary services may say or infer. Now, record keepers are historically non-fiduciary service providers, and their services are what's called ministerial. 
that makes the emergence of 316 services from the record-keeping category noteworthy, requiring careful examination. Now, we've looked closely at many contracts offered by record-keepers uh, during RFP projects that we manage for clients that contain 316 fiduciary provisions, and they reveal clever language that disguises avoidance of actual liability under a veil of authenticity. Now, while those service agreements stipulated support of the 316 function, they disclaim legal responsibility for performing those functions or outcomes. Evidence of the effectiveness of such clever contract wordsmithing is immediately available. Scores of employers have settled class action lawsuits in cases where record keepers obtained excessive compensation. The total of those settlements to date now exceeds $1 billion. So it's vital to note that not one record keeper in those cases was held accountable for being overpaid. So much for their 316 fiduciary service. What's the lesson here? Adding 316 fiduciary status to a record keeper's other services is loaded with risks. If the idea of relieving some of your plan's fiduciary burden and operational responsibilities by engaging a third-party 316 fiduciary if that appeals to you, then hire an independent one. Don't hire one who provides record-keeping services to your plan, which has an inherent serious conflict of interest. All right, let's move to the second significant consideration that affects RFP best practices. That's cybersecurity. Here are five factors motivating the U.S. Department of Labor's intent to get employers engaged in validating their vendors' cybersecurity readiness when they conduct searches for record-keeping services. I'll list them here uh, briefly for you. First of all, cyber attacks targeting retirement plans are growing in number and sophistication, exposing employees and employers to increasing economic and reputational risks. Another factor driving the DOL's effort at motivating employers comes from the FBI. According to Brian Smith, who is the section chief for the FBI's Cyber, Cyber Criminal Division, and which conducts efforts to prevent hackers from accessing personally identifiable information, uh, he says that cybersecurity is more of a business issue than an IT issue. In a recent presentation uh, in a public setting, Brian said that because the value of information is weighted based on the degree to which it attracts the viability of an enterprise, the more critical the data, the more emphasis is needed on securing it. He went on to say that he doesn't believe that the IT departments and organizations have sufficient overall appreciation for the value of data, and therefore, Setting cybersecurity standards and validating vendors' capabilities falls in the hands of business leaders, not the IT department. Now, the third reason the U.S. Department of Labor is pushing so hard on employers now is that it's their duty. It's, it's the duty, the DOL indicates, of the plan sponsor to protect the data and the assets of the, the plans that they administer and sponsor. Responsible executives and managers need help to learn the status of their benefit plan vendors' cybersecurity readiness. And in, in that context, the U.S. Department of Labor, through the Employee Benefit Security Administration, that's its enforcement arm, has introduced guidelines 
on how to carry out that responsibility. Now against this backdrop is the reality that finance and human resources executives face a significant challenge of knowing what comprises cybersecurity best practices for benefit plans and implementing them. That becomes a very important component now of the RFP process. So here are a few examples of what plan fiduciaries should do to test the vendor's cybersecurity readiness. First of all, compare a vendor's security standards, practices, policies, and third-party testing results to industry standards. Next, ask vendors how they validate their practices and what levels of security standards they've met. Uh, this includes such important issues as their breach notification policy. If they have a break-in or an intrusion on your plan's data, how quickly do you know about that? There are instances in recent months where record keepers and health plan providers have waited as long as four months to notify the plan sponsor of a breach of their data. And fourth, determine if and when vendors share personally identifiable information with other firms. Roland Chris published a much more complete list of questions to include in your next RFP related to cybersecurity. Our RFP Vendor Security Guide lists 21 detailed items that will ensure that you've made a thorough inquiry into the capabilities of each of your plan's vendors. And you may request the guide at the contact link on our website at rolandchris.com. I think it's important to emphasize here that employers are not obligated to select vendors who charge the lowest fee and that pricing should certainly not be the only consideration. But choosing a record keeper that claims 316 fiduciary status and gets paid for it is a disappointment waiting to happen. Your next RFP, RFP should pay special attention to the bidder's list of services and ask for help in evaluating the authenticity of any record keeper that promises a co-fiduciary role with your retirement plan. An evaluation of bidder's data security policies and procedures is equally vital. An RFP robust in cybersecurity content provides a valuable way to document what service providers are doing to protect participant balances and other data that cyber criminals are targeting. As the as the Department of Labor plan audit initiative ramps up, executives who take steps to shore up cybersecurity practices are likely to have better outcomes in avoiding participant losses and resources expended in investigations. Roland Chris conducts cybersecurity risk assessments for employers who sponsor ERISA plans. Our examinations uh, use a framework of steps that emerged from the guidance announced by the EBSA in 2021. We'd be, happy, we'd be very happy to share more with you about how to make your next RFP cybersecurity complete. You may obtain information about that from me by email at excellentfiduciary at rolandchris.com. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Excellent Fiduciary Podcast. We appreciate receiving feedback. So please make your comments about today's episode by email at excellentfiduciary at rolandchris.com. We look forward to hearing from you. And I hope you'll join us on our next podcast. And, and until then, have a great day.